Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Thanks so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. I just wanted to draw your attention to the fact that we have two more opportunities for one-on-one personal coaching for the month of February. Uh, If you think you know someone or you yourself would like to reach optimal levels in your health, in your career, in your mindset, or in your relationships, please don't hesitate. Reach out to rabbirupp at gmail.com. Gentlemen, this is the big one. I have images of the guest today, Ben Shapiro, riding in on a white horse back when I was at UCLA because the students were in upheaval. The school was attempting to pass the BDS uh, legislation, which essentially was very anti-Israel. And I just remember Ben Shapiro showing up at like 11 o'clock at night and arguing passionately and beautifully for Israel and for the Jewish people. So Ben Shapiro has a very long history in political broadcast. He got started when he was just 17. Now he is the editor-in-chief of The Daily Wire and hosts a daily political podcast called The Ben Shapiro Show. He is well-known, has many millions of people around the world that listen to him. He's engaging with the biggest minds in politics today, unless our message gets out. That being said, Ben Shapiro is unapologetically Jewish, unapologetically Orthodox, and unapologetically conservative in his political uh, bend. But he is open and engaging and willing to have the dialogue with anybody. So today we get into the Jews' role in politics, his take on the Jewish position in society today, how we can get involved in getting our voice out there, all around issues that I think are relevant to everybody, no matter your political stance. And I greatly hope you will check him out, and I look forward to this interview. With no further ado, Ben Shapiro. Viewpoint that you take when it comes to analyzing political decisions. Sure. Well, I think that Jewish values undergird my politics to a certain extent, just because values in general undergird people's values. But every argument that I make, I believe, has to have a secular rationale, because whenever I'm arguing with people who don't share my biblical worldview, it doesn't make any sense for me to cite the Chumash or Tanakh in order for me to, to make the point. They don't share the same basis of authority that I do. So uh, I think that it shapes my, my moral worldview, not necessarily with regard to what government should and should not do, uh, although I think there is some of that, but more with regard to what people should and should not do. I, I make a pretty hard distinction between what I think you know, is good for, for human beings and what I think government ought to force human beings to do. Absolutely. One of the major things that has kind of come into the foreground now with the the last two administrations are the role that observant Jews have. What do you feel like observant Jews should be doing when it comes to politics, the the danger or the opportunity of playing up a person's religious observance, etc.? So I I worry less about playing up religious observance than the fact that if you believe that that Jews were meant to be a light unto the nations, if you take the biblical injunction to to spread that light seriously, then avoiding the realm of politics seems to me completely foolhardy. This this idea that we're sort of going to ghettoize ourselves and not engage in the political debate, and therefore we leave issues of major consequence to moral people of all stripes 
to people who disagree with us on a fundamental level, I think that's a, that's a huge mistake. And I'm not just talking about Israel. I'm talking about issues like abortion or same-sex marriage. I'm talking about issues of personal responsibility and, uh, and how you operate a business. Uh, issues of religious freedom that obviously impact every Orthodox Jew in the country. If you leave that field you know, empty and, and you just wait for other people to, to do your dirty work and defend you, I think that you are doing the Jewish people and yourself a disservice. On a personal level, is there a certain level of fear that you have going in in terms of representing your community? Obviously, there is a large historical precedent of Jews being involved with politics, but oftentimes that Jews are frankly afraid, so to speak, to stand up for themselves as they don't, you know, sometimes are, as they're sometimes victim of their opinions and when political tides turn. They usually try to just sort of, I guess you could say, stay in the background. Is that a personal concern that you're worried about facing your community? As no, especially... I, I... I've always thought that that was a little bit overblown. Like, I think there's a myth that's, that's pushed forward by the Orthodox. And I grew up, you know, going to going to Eula, and I went to Maimonides for for junior high. And there there was this kind of tendency to say things like, "Well, whenever Jews become prominent in a particular country, then the backlash against Jews is really strong." And the answer to that is, when Jews are not prominent in a particular country, the backlash against Jews is very strong. So, and that seems like a category error. The problem is not Jews becoming powerful as Jews, like as as religiously observant Jews. The problem is that whenever there is a backlash against any movement, Jews tend to be at the forefront of any movement, whether you're talking secular or religious. So we might as well promulgate the values that Judaism stands for, as opposed to, for example, being blamed for Bolshevism because so many leaders of Bolshevism happen to be ethnically Jewish, but religiously atheist. Fantastic. Now, if depending on who you ask, you could say either the Jews are in a terrible situation now, we're in a very advantageous, opportunistic situation. Where do you fall on that continuum? So I think that you have to gauge it along two lines. It depends on what you're comparing it to. If you're comparing it to history, Jews have never been in a better position. I mean, if you're just comparing it to, to world history, Jews have not been in a better position since probably Moses came down with the tablets. It's, it's been a long time since there was an, an independent Jewish state that has an enormous amount of power, a, a very uh, solid fighting military, uh, connections, deep and abiding connections with the most powerful country in the history of the world in the United States. If you look at it in terms of where they stand compared to where they were 10 years ago, it depends on which angle you take. If you're looking at where they stand compared to the Palestinians, I would say much better off uh, compared to Saudi Arabia, much better off, Egypt much better off, Iran much worse off, right? The, the Iranian, uh, the, the Iranian forwarding of, of regional power under the Obama administration has been quite disastrous. I don't think the Europeans were ever to be counted on in terms of support for, for the Jews or the Jewish state. I would say the Jews in Europe have it much worse off than they did uh, even 20 years ago. Um, but it depends where you're talking about. Jews in America have it great. Jews in France do not. Jews in Israel have it great. Jews in, in, uh, you know, in Germany uh, are experiencing problems, or Sweden are experiencing problems. So it depends on, on the country. Overall, you know, I'm free to practice my religion. I'm free to wear a yarmulke in public. I'm free to talk openly about my belief system. And not only that, I'm encouraged to do so. And Israel is one of the most powerful states on the planet in terms of a place where lots of Jews live and that's supposed to represent Jewish values. So uh, if, uh, I'm, I'm an optimist as far as where I think Jews are globally right now. Fantastic. One of the things that you can't ignore, obviously, is that so many of our Jewish brethren are on the, so to speak, the left side of the, of the fence and are advocating very strongly against this administration and all the stuff that basically you know, he stands for and it stands for. And there are very few Jewish conservative voices on the right who are practicing like yourself. When you are trying to advocate for the positions, if you are speaking specifically to the community as much as you'd want to say it from a national co component or an international component, what would you tell Jews that they should be focusing on, that they should try to listen to to get 
sort of in line with uh, with the way that you see the world. I mean, I, honestly, I don't think that I have to preach to other Orthodox Jews, many of whom know more about Judaism than I do. I'm not a rabbi. I, I think that when there's a reason that, that Orthodox Jews vote largely Republican and supported President Trump overwhelmingly in the last elections. So when you talk about Jews being to the left, you're really talking about uh, conservative and reformed Jews. The conservative movement is basically breaking down and falling apart. Uh, they're either moving modern Orthodox or they're moving toward the reform, which means really toward secularism. So that means that if you're going to talk about Jews being to the left, you have to determine, are you talking about people who actually care about Judaism and Jewish priorities, or are you talking about people who are ethnically Jewish and like to go to synagogue on Yom Kippur for half a day before they break for lunch? And I think that makes yeah. a big difference because I don't tend to care about ethnic Judaism very much. I think it's an almost worthless category. Uh, I, think that, I think that religious Judaism, what you practice is, is what you are. And so you know, even appealing to ethnic Jews as Jews, I think, is sometimes a mistake because why would I assume that they have any sort of deep and abiding care for Jewish values, for, for Torah values, for the state of Israel? The vast majority of Reformed Jews care significantly more about same-sex marriage and are pro-same-sex marriage than they do about the fate of the state of Israel, which they, which they seem to be sort of uncomfortable with. I mean, there's a reason there's been that the post-Zionist movement has largely sprung from the anti-religious community. Absolutely. And, and so the question would be, I guess, do you see to engage these people in conversation in any more meaningful way than you would anybody else? Or do you feel like there's a certain point that the Jewish community reaches by which you just say, you know, you're kind of off the grid, so to speak, and I'm just going to go about my daily business? I mean, I think you have to gauge people individually. So it depends. There are some, there, there are some Jews who are not Orthodox. I don't want to suggest that all Orthodox Jews are, are doing great and not non-Orthodox Jews are doing horribly in terms of, in terms of politics. There, there are many Jews that I talk to who are, who are not Orthodox who still hold value uh, with regard to sort of traditional biblical values in certain ways, even if they're not keeping Shabbat or Kashrut. Uh, there, there are a lot of non-Orthodox Jews who, who have significant love for the state of Israel. Uh, and I think you can talk to people who, who believe in those things, but you have to gauge what are the things that people value and then talk to them about those values. I think trying to browbeat somebody who doesn't care particularly much about Israel by saying, well, your last name has a steen at the end of it, therefore I'm going to talk to you about Israel is, is making a, a foolish mistake. Absolutely. How did you get into politics? I ask you to answer answer this question with an eye on the fact that there are so many young people, college people, post-college people, where politics has largely kind of fallen out of, if it ever was, of discussion and people just aren't paying attention. So what was your personal path and how would you advocate for someone to get more involved if they should? I mean, so I was always interested in politics, but when I went to college, I didn't think that I was going to be in political science. I thought that I was going to major in genetic science and music, actually, because I'm a violinist. And so when I, the, what really got me into politics in a formal way is I was on campus. I picked up the student newspaper. There was an article comparing Ariel Sharon to Adolf Eichmann. I walked into the op-ed office and I asked if I could write a counter. And that turned into a regular column, which turned into a syndicated column, and it sort of went from there. So the question is, number one, do you have the passion? Number two, do you have the skill? And number three, do you have anything that's worth saying? If, if you do, then I think that the, politics is a good place for you. I would suggest that you start off by actually honing your craft, and that means writing for free or for very little money. Just like in any other business, you have to work your way up from the bottom. It wasn't like I was connected in politics. I wasn't. My, my parents worked in Hollywood. Uh, I didn't know anyone in, in the business of politics. Uh, I basically applied cold for my syndicated column and then just took advantage of the opportunities that were presented to me from there. But uh, a lot of it has to do with, you actually have to put in the hard work. I mean, you have to do the reading. You have to spend time engaging with the issues and discussing with people you disagree with. And if, if that's something that fascinates you, then you can start thinking about, is my viewpoint something that needs to be promulgated? And if so, how do I find an outlet willing to publish it? And sometimes that means writing for free. 
Absolutely. But do you share in sort of the hand-wringing and the general fear that a lot of these very large Jewish lobbies have where they say that the kids just don't care? Or do you, you feel pretty optimistic when you say those that care? I mean, care I, and- I, I, I think that's the, the, the... I would be worried that there are so many Jewish kids who don't care about Israel or Jewish values. But as far as not caring about politics more broadly, most people who are young don't care about politics. So the, the idea that people are just disengaged, I don't know why they think that you know people who don't engage politically or in terms of values are going to engage with with politics just because they're ethnically Jewish. Again, it's that distinction that makes all the difference. Your values determine whether you're going to become politically engaged or not. If you have a problem with people being politically engaged, maybe you should look to the fact that you're you're pushing values that no one finds interesting or worthwhile. If you, if you actually were doing a better job pushing your values and kids actually engaged with them, then they have a tendency to become more political. And two final questions. How did you find your own value system? And are you in the belief that a person should be consistently questioning those? How do you settle on those value systems and how do you like cross-examine them? So I, I think that you should on, uh, always be, be looking at the hard questions. I think that avoiding the hard questions uh, is foolish. By the same token, I think looking for 100% certainty in any religious faith is, is foolish. I think that the, the idea that you're ever going to come up with the I'm 100% certain that everything I believe is 100% factually true, that's just not the nature of faith. Uh, and, and therefore, and that's true for any value system, by the way. It's not just true of religion. It's also true of people who believe in secular humanism who refuse to examine their underlying motivations or their underlying assumptions. And when they do, very often those underlying assumptions simply fall apart. Like when, when atheists, the, some of the new atheist crowd, people like Bill Maher, will talk about human rights and you ask them, okay, where do human rights come from? They have a hard time explaining. It's an article of faith for them. That's fine, but you have to actually say it's an article of faith for me. And what is your justification for the faith? So I think looking, you know, at, looking at the hard questions is something that, that we should be doing. It's also something I think that Jewish high schools and junior highs should be engaging with because I think that one of the problems, particularly in, in the Orthodox community, to, to be really parochial here, uh, one of the big problems is that a lot of people who are Orthodox go through the, the school system, they hit college, and they've never actually asked any of these questions. They're hit with one of these questions, and they don't know how to handle it at all. And there are good answers, even if they're answers that, that people may not end up believing, there are good answers to a lot of the questions that, that are being asked. I mean, I'm actually writing a book on some of this stuff right now because I think that it's important to constantly be examining where your worldview comes from. The, the best argument, I think, in favor of the Judeo-Christian worldview, and I say that because it's the Judaic worldview that was broadened and, in terms of audience by Christianity, um, the, the, the best argument for that is that it's created the greatest civilization in the history of the world bar none. Uh, and so you, I, I think that pride in, in Western civilization inherently means pride in certain Jewish values, even if you're refusing to acknowledge that debt. Absolutely. To what extent do you feel is, what is the greatest challenge facing the Jewish community today from your perspective based on the work that you do and sort of the 30,000 feet view that you have? I think the greatest problem is that disconnect that we're talking about right now between promulgation of religious values and the and you know kids who are growing up not seeing any of that. And I think that holds true in a couple of ways. I think number one, there are just a lot of Jews who are born into Jewish families who don't know anything about Judaism and have not been taught in any coherent and cohesive way about Jewish philosophy. And I think that that holds true also for people who grew up from. I think people who are FFB um, you know, are not taught how to handle questions that are coming at them from the outside. And so increasingly, as we live in an open and engaged society, people are going to fall away from the faith if they aren't armed with answers. And that's certainly even more true of people who don't have any engagement with the faith to begin with. 
Final question, what do you think is the solution to that problem? Is it a family situation? Is it a, a synagogue situation, which of course is a big problem because so many of these people aren't going to synagogue? Or is it the book that you're writing? Like, how do we how do we solve that problem or attempt to solve those problems? I mean, I think it's all of the above. I think that in the end, it always comes down to family. But in order for families to be influenced by ideas, there have to be people speaking those ideas. So the fact that I'm writing a book or the fact that I'm trying to speak out on biblical values and I do a Bible segment every Wednesday and the fact that I try and take seriously questions of faith, I'll go and I'll debate Sam Harris. Now, I think that that's, that's valuable. I think that more Orthodox Jews need to be doing it. And frankly, I'm, I'm sort of astonished and appalled that it's been left to me, a guy who was, you know, Baal Tshuva at age 11 uh, and never went to yeshiva in Israel for a year after high school to, to promulgate Jewish values. Maybe that's because, you know, I've spent so much time engaging with secular values, but uh, it, would, it would behoove the Orthodox community to produce some people who can speak cogently about these ideas because when Jews do speak cogently about their faith, they have something to say. That's fantastic. I know you have to go. If you could just nail in that two last seconds, that's an unbelievable idea. How does a person that is a bald Jew, but someone that comes sort of later to faith, you came at 11, I came at 18, and, you know, kind of has this media role. How do we address those challenges of, I guess you'd say, you know, I don't have enough of a background. When in reality, you're the one that's doing it. It's amazing. So how have you mitigated the fear or the, or the concern about inauthentically representing your... So, I mean, the first thing that I always say is that I'm not a posek, so I'm not going to sit around and paskin halacha for you. But what I will say is that when you look at Jewish hashkafa, Jewish hashkafa philosophy uh, is broad enough that it encompasses a a fair bit of ground. I mean, there there are differences, major differences between, you know, even classic commentators like Rambam and Barbanel. So the idea that it can't encompass, uh, you know, the, the sort of root philosophy that I'm espousing... I think what I'm saying is usually I'm talking about the basics of Judaism is the truth. I mean, it's very rare that I'm talking about, you know, any abstract or abstruse portion of halakha. Like it comes up sometimes, it's come up, I think, once in a speech where somebody asked me about halakhic differences in my opinion on abortion. And I'll have to cite Moshe Feinstein as opposed to citing uh, Waldman. But the the bottom line is that that's stuff that tends to come up in very minority contexts with people who are already engaged inside the Orthodox community Uh, in terms of promulgating you know, broad nature Jewish values, I don't think that those are, are they're not in heaven, right? I think that, they, I think that we are uh, pretty familiar with them. And one of the reasons we're familiar with them is because they're already embodied in a lot of our culture and civilization. 100%. Ben, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. I just wanted to draw your attention to the fact that we have two more opportunities for one-on-one personal coaching for the month of February. Uh, If you think you know someone or you yourself would like to reach optimal levels in your health, in your career, in your mindset, or in your relationships, please don't hesitate. Reach out to rabbirupp at gmail.com.